it's just lovely to be here and to talk about a, a very uh, unique subject, uh, the resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to begin by reading something that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, it's just two verses, and this is what he says. For I did, he's writing to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian believers who live in Corinth. Uh, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So says the Apostle Paul, three things which are of first importance, the bedrock of everything. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. But the story doesn't end there. Because on the third day, all according to what God had promised in his word in the scriptures, on the third day, this Jesus, this Christ, he rose from the dead. Now, uh, we're all born into this world. Uh, maybe we can call this world a house. Think of it as a house. We're all born into this house. We're all born into the same house. And in this house, in this world, we live. And the only people to leave the house are the dead. And the dead never return. And they pass from the light of the house into the darkness. They pass from the known of this house, of this world, into the unknown, the unknown beyond. And maybe therefore we wonder, well, maybe this house is all that there is. Because I'm born into this house, I live in this house, and here I die. And if you like, I carried out of the house. So perhaps I better just make the best of it, the life that I've got, the hand I've been dealt. Into this house, into this world, comes Jesus of Nazareth. He says he's God's son. He reveals himself to be, by his own revelation, uh, God made flesh. And he says that he's come from God's house to our house. And he's come to our house to bring us back to God so that we can live together in God's house forever. That's what he says. But then, like everyone else, he dies. And a dead Jesus changes nothing. But three days later, the unexpected happened. No one was expecting the Jesus who died to return to the house. He came back from the dead. Not a ghost, not a hallucination, but a real flesh and bone man who met with his disciples, who met with his friends, who gave them many proofs that it really was him, bodily returned from the dead. He ate with them. Uh, they were able to hold him they knew the sound of his voice. He was there in front of them. He met with the one and the twos and the, and the half a dozen here and the dozen there. He met with 500 at one time. And he left it with them so that they were, without any doubt, they believed um, what before he rose from the dead would have been unbelievable. 
that he really had risen from the dead. It was the same body in which he died, and yet it was a different body. It was was a different sort of life, a life that can never die, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, when I was at university, I used to, with some others, we used to run discussion groups for people who, I mean, a bit like sort of what we're doing tonight, uh, for people who wanted to talk about these things. And uh, we used to call it uh, investigating Christian belief. It's a bit, he is, it sounds much quicker and easier. Anyway, we used to do investigating Christian belief. And the first one we do would be on the resurrection of Jesus. And what we would do is we would look at the evidence that Jesus is risen from the dead. And we go through the evidence and we see that the evidence was solid. It was credible. And if you if you handle it um, in an unbiased way, um, without preconditions, without presuppositions, you have to come to the conclusion that the resurrection is a fact, a well-attested fact, a fact in history, a fact that divides time into two, that Jesus is risen from the dead. So we looked at the evidence, and the evidence is still there to be looked at. There are lots of books and things. If you're interested, you can take it further, and you can, you can really go into it and just see how actually some of the best books have been written by people who were determined to prove the resurrection wasn't true. Um, investigative journalists, lawyers who are determined to show that the resurrection was a nonsense. Dead men don't rise. You can't believe this stuff. If I can knock this pillar out of the way of Christianity, Christianity will collapse and we can put Christianity in the tomb. And people looked at it and actually came uh, to the conviction and conclusion that actually he really had risen from the dead. Okay, so we go through these things in in our discussion. At the end of the discussion, uh, people would sort of say something like this. They would say, okay, Jesus is risen from the dead. So what? What does that prove? What difference does it make? And they saw no connection between the life they were living and something that happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus coming back from the dead. And that's no surprise, really, because for years, I I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but it it made, made no difference to my life at all. And if you'd asked me what was the most important thing that was going on in my life, the last thing on my list would have been Jesus is risen. And maybe that's a bit where you are. Maybe, you know, it's not the kind of, you, you know, I need to sift through the evidence to see whether or not he really has risen from the dead. Maybe you've, you're in the situation where you think, yeah, no, I believe he's risen from the dead. Maybe you've never doubted it. Maybe you've always believed it. But the point you've come to is, well, so what? What difference does it make? Does it change anything? Does it change my life? Well, perhaps when you look at it like this, imagine a kaleidoscope. You know, a kaleidoscope, those children's kaleidoscopes, you put the tube, like a telescope, and you put the put the bit to your eye, and then you turn the tube, um, and as you rotate the tube, so uh, uh, shapes and colors, they, they, they turn around inside the tube, and you get new patterns. Okay, so you put it to your eye, you see one pattern, rotate the tube, you get another pattern, rotate the tube, you get another pattern. Kaleidoscope. I'm sure we've all used them and played with them at some time or other. Well, let's think of a kaleidoscope and we'll call our kaleidoscope life. So let's put our kaleidoscope to the eye and what do we see? Well, the first thing we see in our kaleidoscope is 
what we might describe as injustice. Injustice. The, probably the first thing we say when we're children is, it's not fair. And very soon we realise that, yeah, life seems unfair. Life is unjust. Some things are never sorted out. We care about injustice. Let's put the kaleidoscope again to our eye. Let's rotate the drum. And we now see a new pattern emerging. And uh, we'll call it the planet. Um, and as we look at the planet, I think we'll all agree the planet to a degree is spoiled. Uh, there's pollution, uh, there's plastic, plastic straws. Wherever you go, there's something that is wrong with the planet. Uh, global warming, all of those things. Um, I was reading about a man, he, he saw a, a heron uh, eating a duckling and uh, moved with compassion for the duckling. He rescued it from the, from the mouth of the heron by killing the heron. Um, the planet seems like that, doesn't it? It's kill or be killed. Wherever you go, something is spoiled. It doesn't seem to be as it should be. And so we care about the planet. We care about injustice, we care about the planet. Let's turn our kaleidoscope again, let's, let's, let's turn the tube and what we look at now is death. And particularly in this last year, we've all become much more aware of it, haven't we? Um, perhaps like me, I know of several people who have died of COVID. Um, death has become much closer. We wear our masks, we don't sit too close to people. If somebody coughs, everyone turns. Um, we all have to leave this house, this world in which we live. And death, death is the unmaking of me. That's why we find ultimately death really quite alarming, frightening, don't we? Um, every horror film or horror story that's ever been written or, or shown plays upon our fear of death, plays upon the unmaking of us. Because it's the tearing apart of, of body and soul. So we care about death. And then if I take my kaleidoscope and I turn the tube again, this time I see myself, or at least a, a pattern of myself. And that's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable looking at ourselves. Because the, the, the sort of bottom line is, deep down, all of us kind of feel that if you got to know me, if you saw me for what I really was, you wouldn't like what you saw. All of us at some point feel uh, guilt and shame. It's a universal feeling. And all of us, we're all takers, aren't we? And it's a world of takers. What's in it for me? Me first. Um, and of course, that's why the world is a mess. And all of us have that sense deep down the side that we're, we're waiting to be found out. And the Bible talks of a judgment day. And when I hear that word, it doesn't make me feel safe. Because if my life is exposed to scrutiny, and if my secrets are brought out into the open, and if people can see who I really am, and if the one who is examining me is the one who has a perfect record of my life, the God who made me, 
then I know that on judgment day, there's no way I can prove my innocence. And that leaves me feeling very insecure. We care about how others see us. And actually deep down, although we may not admit it, we care about how God sees us. So we care about injustice. We care about the planet. We care about death. And we care about what we look like, who we really are, what God sees. And then if we turn our kaleidoscope again, there's a sort of fifth image to look at. And maybe this one, instead of lots of colored beads, maybe this one ought to be a rather gray because, well, life aches, doesn't it? Um, somebody said it's a rare person who isn't tragic right under the surface. We all feel that ache, don't we? And we're all hoping for something better. We care about life. So here are five things that matter to us. Five things which, which we think really are relevant. They really are important. I think they'll be on most of our lists. Um, the injustice that's in the world, or maybe the injustice that's in my life. Um, the planet. Uh, death, you can't avoid it. it it's tr tracking us all. Um, the sense of guilt, shame, how I'm seen, what I'm really like, if you really knew me. And then all of us have that sort of universal sense of hoping for something better. Now, if you read the Old Testament, that's the first part of the Bible, that's the what we call the Jewish scriptures, you'll find all of those things there and you'll find a concern for all of those things there and you'll find a longing for God to come and to sort out all those concerns for God to put those things right for God as it were to bathe the world in love for at last the world to turn the corner so let's look at our kaleidoscope again. Let's turn, the, let's turn the tube. And now as we look through it, we see a person, a man, a man from God, Jesus of Nazareth, the man who is indeed claims to be God, God's son, the very revelation of God. And when you look at him, you see there's no one more credible more warm, nor more friendly or more human than Jesus. And not the sentimental Jesus of pop religion, and not a stained glass window, but the real Jesus, the one who is gentle and strong, the one who has all authority, so that even the wind and the waves obey his voice, even at the sound of his voice the dead are raised, and yet he's humble, he's the servant king, the one who is compassionate, he touches the leper because that conveys the leper more than words can, his willingness to heal. He's compassionate and yet he's also just. And he's passionate. There's red blood in, in, his, in his veins and yet he's not prejudiced. And he's the very embodiment of love. No one has ever loved like Jesus. And unlike us, he's different. He's without sin. And yet, as they said of him, he's the friend of sinners. And then he's crucified. 
he dies. He's dead. They took down a gray, lifeless corpse from the cross. And they took that dead body and they buried it. And that was the end of the matter. Dead men don't rise. But then, as we've just heard, on the third day, he rose from the dead. And those five things that we've been talking about, those five things that matter to us, those five things are answered by a risen Jesus. There is a connection. The things that matter to us are directly relevant and answered by the resurrection. There is a complete joining together. So, for example, well, let's run through it. Injustice. Well, the Bible says the risen Jesus is the one to right the wrongs. And actually, at the end of this age, he will judge the world. So the Apostle Paul is preaching and uh, he's preaching, in fact, to people who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, to the, uh, the people in Athens. And he says this, talking about God. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, raising this man from the dead. The planet. Jesus rose from the dead in a real body. And the Bible says that's like the first building block of a resurrection, which in the end will embrace the whole universe. It's like the foundation stone for a whole new building, a whole new heavens and a new earth. If you like that one resurrection, says the Bible, guarantees the resurrection of a new universe, a new creation, a creation that's swept clean of disease and decay and despair and death. He'll make all things new. So Paul writing to, uh, again, people whose culture would have been originally, they don't, they don't believe in resurrection. He says this, talking of Jesus, um, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. He'll raise, his body's raised, he'll raise uh, the human race from the dead, he'll raise the resurrection, so he'll raise the universe uh, to a new uh, life. So what about death? Um, if this world is a house, a house which no one leaves alive, well, think about it. Jesus has left the house. He died. But he's returned to the house. No one has ever done that. He's returned to the house alive. So what does that tell us? It tells us that the world beyond, the world we can't see, the shadows that are beyond the light of our house, the world beyond is real. And that since he came back with a real body, a resurrection body, the body, the world beyond is a real world, is a physical world. It's telling us there's life beyond this life, not, as it were, fluttering spirits in a shadow world or people sitting around on clouds wondering what they should do next. But the world beyond is as real and as alive as his resurrection body, as he is. 
a new world where death is no more, where death has been put to death, a new world where life has been brought to life. You sometimes hear the Bible talk about eternal life, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. To sometimes that can, that can sound like existence that goes on forever. It doesn't mean that in that sense. It means life. The life of God, the life of God's new world, the life where death has been put to death and life has been brought to life. Life that's so real, so satisfying as it should be, as it was always meant to be. If you like, Jesus has, has punched a hole through death and has then come back to lead us safely through to the other side. And on the other side, lovers of Jesus will be clothed with with new bodies, resurrection bodies. And the Bible says that one day that uh, believers will dance on the grave of death. Uh, in this life, death seems to have the last word, doesn't it? Um, but the day is coming when um, we read uh, people, will, uh, well, when the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, when people are clothed with new bodies, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's almost like a football chant, isn't it? People saying to death, you're not singing anymore. Because Christ has punched a hole, brings his people with him to a world where there is no more death. And they'll dance on the grave of death. His power to hurt is gone forever. It's lost its sting. And then guilt all that unfinished business that I know is in me, uh, awaiting judgment day, the things I've said, the things I've done, the things I should have said, the things I didn't do. What do we read? For I delivered to you first of first importance, uh, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. On that cross, Christ died for sins. He died the punishing death for sin that I deserve to die. He paid in full the price that God's justice demands. But how can I be sure? How do I know? Well, people go to prison, don't they? They go to prison to pay for their crimes. And when they've paid for their crimes, they're released from prison. They've served their time. Well, Jesus is condemned for my crimes. And he goes to God's prison, which is death. The wages of sin is death. But on that third day, the gates of death opened. And Jesus walked free. He paid the price in full. He paid the price that my crimes demand. And therefore, for all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's justice is finished with them. And they can therefore enjoy peace with God. They know they've been found out. They've actually brought their sins to God. And in Jesus Christ, those sins have been forgiven. And all the calm of knowing that I have been found out, but it's all right. It's all been forgiven. I enjoy peace with God. And that fifth thing, that, that sense in which we're looking, looking for hope. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. 
And that's why the Bible, when it talks about hope, it's not saying, well, I hope it's going to get better. <laughs> I hope I hope lockdown is going to be over soon. I hope this is going to happen. I hope this is going to, that sort of hoping. The Bible uses hope in a different way. It talks about it being a confident expectation, as real and as solid as that body that rose from the dead. Now, you may know the, the, the Doors song, uh, Riders on the Storm, uh, Jim Morrison uh, he sang, um, into this house we're born, into this world we're thrown. It was kind of prophetic because just a few months later he died. Uh, he's one of the sort of 27 club. Into this house we're born, we're all born into this house, this house of death, this house where nobody gets out alive. Into this world we're thrown. And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel you've been thrown into this world. Maybe you feel you're a, you're a rider on the storm and the waves, they just crash over you. And it's only a matter of time before um, one wave's going to get you. And you don't know when it will be. And uh, our lives are filled with, with blood, sweat and tears, aren't they? And for what? I'm born into this house. Here I live. Here I will die. For what? What's it all about? Why am I here? Who am I? Why have I been given all of these things and I can't make sense of who I am? Well, Jesus changes everything. When we put, you know, kaleidoscope makes things beautiful, doesn't it? When we put the kaleidoscope of resurrection to our eyes, everything is beautifully different. Everything looks different. There's a sense in which we're all looking for resurrection. But on that Easter morning, we discover that resurrection is not an idea. It's not a new agenda. It's not a new way to live. Religion will give you that. Every religion there is, they have their teachers, they have their gurus, they have their names, they'll teach you how to live, and they also have the graves of their leaders. Resurrection is not a new way to live. It's not a religion. It's not spirituality. It's not, it's not an idea that's competing in the marketplace of ideas to try and grab my attention, but there's this voice over here, there's that voice over here. Here is something completely unique. We're all looking for resurrection. And when we look at Jesus, we find that actually resurrection is a person. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's punched that hole through death. He's come back to lead us safely through to the other side. And in fact, the resurrection was the launch of God's new world, where everything is being sorted out, where even death is being put to death. That's why in that same chapter, Paul will say of Jesus, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. He's trampled death to death. 
God is sorting it all out, all the things that matter to us, all the touching points of our life where we say, I care, I care, I care. The resurrection has the same touching points. And it's God sorting it out through his son, Jesus Christ. On that resurrection morning, the world turned the corner. That's why he rose from the dead at the coming of the light, at the breaking of the dawn. It was a new day in every way. And everything is new. Everything is different. So let me close. We're born into this house. Into this world we're thrown. Do you want to live and die without hope? Do you want to be left behind in this old world of, of sin and decay and despair? And death. Do you want to be thrown out with the rubbish at the end of the age where the rubbish is burned? Or do you want to become part of God's new world? A world of resurrection, a world of life, a world that begins when we bow the knee to the king. The very word Christ means king. He's the king. He's this world's rightful ruler. He's come to set everything right. Are you ready, to, are you ready to, to sign on to God's new world? Are you ready to come to the Lord Jesus Christ?